everyone. Welcome to episode 15 of the Book Cougars, Two Middle-Aged Women on the Hunt for a Good Read. I'm Emily. I'm Chris. And I'm Ann Kingman. I guess I'm a, the third middle-aged woman here today. <laughs> yeah, I don't like identifying myself that way. You guys are so brave. <laughs> well, the truth hurts, I yeah. guess. <laughs> we are excited to have Anne with us today. You guys have heard us over and over wax poetic about books on the nightstand and booktopia. And Anne is the other co-host of uh, Books on the Nightstand. We've had Michael Kindness on as a guest in the past. Without Books on the Nightstand and Booktopia, book cougars would not exist. Would not exist. Emily yeah. and I would not know each other. Yeah. yeah. So it's a really special thing. And I know, Anne, that one thing Michael has said, and I've heard you say this also, that one of the things you're the proudest of is the community of people who've gotten to know each other through books on the night absolutely i mean seeing people who've become you know lifelong friends podcast partners maybe even business partners i don't think we've had any weddings um, <laughs> but that truly is the thing that i am am really really proud of that we were able to facilitate that even though you know michael and i didn't ever even dare to come up with that as a goal like that wasn't something i think that would who does that? Like, oh, we, I, we want to start friendships all over the world, you yeah, know? But yeah. um, but it just happened on its own. And I think, you know, certainly it, it it's a testament to book people and the kind of people that they are, that they're open. And when they find other book people, it's just magical. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And we're all, we're so, so many of us are introverted. But when you get around a group of book people, there's such a freedom to just talk about books. Without... And it gets really noisy and loud yeah, and it does, chattery. It does, surprisingly. <laughs> well, and I think that was the gift of Booktopia is because we knew we had all read the same books. Mm-hmm. You know, so you could be in a restaurant by yourself and someone else would walk in with their badge and, you know, yeah, I'm an introvert, but I could at least say, you know, did you read blah, 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 you know, yes. and then you, you know, broke the ice. Yeah. So, so I thought I would start with a little full circle Booktopia story to get us started. Um, the first Booktopia that I went to was Santa Cruz. And I went because my, I had launched my two kids. My son, who was the youngest, was heading to college. My daughter, Rachel, had graduated from college and was heading to Seattle to do a year of AmeriCorps service. So I bought myself a ticket to go to Book, Booktopia Santa Cruz. And I met some friends there and then decided to sign on to go to Booktopia Bellingham. And at that point, Rachel, my daughter, was in Seattle doing her AmeriCorps service. So she met us up there and she fell head over heels in love with Booktopia when she went to the Yankee Swap, which is where we do a little white elephant. And Michael got her book, which was a Sherman Alexie book, and he had never read Sherman Alexie and was so excited. So she was like, oh, the famous guy got my book, you know? <laughs> and she was smitten, you know? But um, so we had a great time in Bellingham, and then on the way home, our car broke down, and um, we ended up having it towed to Jana's house, who we barely knew, but she's a fellow Booktopian, I had to leave. I had to be in a meeting the next day and had to fly back across the country. So I left Rachel with all of these people I barely knew and was feeling <laughs> like an incredibly terrible mother. But by the time I was home from my flight, Rachel is texting me saying, I'm playing charades with Jana and Linda and I'm having a slumber party on the couch at Jana's house with Sarah Henry, who was an author. So Rachel was beside herself, you know. So that's what the first thing I want to say. Rachel meets Sarah Henry. Well, then, lo and behold, Anne and Michael schedule another Booktopia, and now it's in Boulder. Rachel has now moved to Boulder. <laughs> I mean, to, I'm sorry, Denver. She's in grad school. So she goes to Booktopia Boulder with me, where she meets Shauna, who is a Denver public library librarian. Right. Rachel has now graduated. It's like, I think, three years maybe from Booktopia Boulder. She's graduated. She's a school social worker for Denver Public Schools, and she's in a school that they're phasing out which I didn't really understood what that what that meant when she got the job. But what it means is they're slowly phasing out the staff. They're not phasing out the students. The students are still the same, but they're phasing out the staff. And so part of what happens is like her first year, she was in charge of sixth, seventh, eighth. This year, she's in charge of seventh, eighth. Next year, just eighth. And part of the brilliance that they have as they're phasing out is the kids also can't use all of the resources available at the school. Mm. So this year, her seventh and eighth graders cannot use the school library. Uh-huh. And they have a beautiful library there. So she's been very frustrated all year because these are kids who aren't reading at, right. you know, grade level. Mm-hmm. So she put out an all-dog alert on Facebook two weeks ago saying, next year when I just have eighth graders, I'm determined to have a lending library out of my office. The first person she heard from was Shauna, <laughs> a fellow Booktopian, <laughs> who's a librarian. And she said, Rachel, 
we call our books in July and we give them away to nonprofits, I will give you as many books as you want wow. in your lending That's library. Right. The next person she heard from was Sarah Henry, who she received a box of books from Aww. in the mail. So Booktopia has long stretch, long reach. Rachel is now going to have a filled library for her eighth graders next year. And she and I have been doing a lot of dreaming about, you know, how she can get these kids to take books home. And so her goal event was really to have 140 books and to have them each be able to take a book home at the end of the year. Now her goal is that they can have a book when they first get to school to take home and then borrow books all year long. Wow. So, That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So there you have it. Booktopians. Right. Yeah. Booktopians unite. Yeah. Yes. That's and my kids who know I'm a crazy book lady, but they're <laughs> there. You know, Rachel thinks libraries are important and books are important. So that makes me really happy. So. Good job, Mom. Oh, thanks. Yeah, totally. thanks. Yeah. Yes, I dragged them to bookstores their entire life, so it's in their blood. I'm afraid. Well, I'm not. I'm well, not, you know, I'm sometimes it works yeah. the opposite yeah. way, and it you know they rebel against it, and they want yeah. nothing to do with it. So. Yes. Well, and Jacob had the public library card on his keychain too. That's right. Yes. That's right. He got home from Colorado, and I was taking his car to the car wash, and I told Chris I was so excited to see the <laughs> public library thing on his keychain. My job is done as a mother. I can die. <laughs> so we right, thought so we might do a little booktopia debrief now that the weekend's over sounds like fun yeah yes. the first question i have for ann is what was it like to be on the other side because ann came as a guest this year yes i came as a guest uh, i did not come last year which was the first year that northshire had taken it over and michael and i had stepped back so this was the first year it was different it was a very different experience um and I, you know, I, I'm not sure how much of it is because I wasn't involved in the planning and how much of it was that I hadn't read all of the author's books, which is a first because mm-hmm. as the organizer, I always felt really obligated to read at least most of, well, all of the author's books, at least 75% of each book, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and usually I ended up reading them all. But there were just circumstances this year that I didn't get to all of the author's books. So... Going into that, I wasn't sure how the sessions would feel because I know most Booktopians read at least some of the books. And so the sessions are filled with, you know, when the authors say who's read the book, they're always shocked because probably 90% of the hands go up. Um, And that's one of the things that makes Booktopia so special for the authors is because they don't usually have that experience. And one of the authors once said to me, the thing I love about Booktopia is I don't feel like I have to sell my book like I do at other book events. Mm -hmm. They've already read it. Now I can actually have a conversation about it. Yeah, and it's a spoiler-free zone. Not not free. It's not spoiler-free. It's spoiler 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 full. That's right. That's right. That's how we ran it. I don't know if it's still that way. Yeah, that's how it was this weekend. Did they announce that? Well, at least some of us said. Yeah. (laughs) Can I talk about it? I don't want to give spoilers. Everybody's like, no, give them. Everyone here is right. And if they haven't, they'll they'll handle it. (laughs) Yeah. So, so I wasn't sure how it would feel not really being that familiar. So I, but I sat in in a couple of author sessions where I had not read a word of the book. Mm -hmm. So what was interesting for me is I tend to be one of those people who don't like when authors read from their books. But I realized this time that I don't think I'd ever been to an author event where I hadn't already read the book. And it turns out that if I hadn't read a word of the book, I really like it when the authors read because it does give me a sense of if it's something that I would enjoy and want to buy. So I did have sort of a complete 360 on that. I still don't love it when authors read when I've already read. Um, And I think it's much like seeing the movie. I hear things in my head my own way. Um, And I know author Peter Heller said that he likes to give the readers a sense of what he was thinking as he was right, like how he heard it as he was writing it, mm-hmm. which I appreciate that from the author perspective. However, I kind of feel like once the book's out in the world, it's the readers to bring to it what I they yeah. want to. Right. And so Peter and I have sort of a fundamental disagreement there, which someday we'll probably slug it out over right. some beer or something. <laughs> um, but he's a really great reader. So, I mean, it's, it's not a bad thing um, that he read. But it's just I realize that I do prefer to hear read when I haven't read the book. Well, and I think there's a difference also between, you know, standing up and saying, I'm going to read two pages of the book versus... I'm going to read for the first 30 minutes yes. of this hour. Yeah, and, and some people really do love that. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I think there's a, a reason. So I tend to refer to them as author events, but a lot of places will call it author readings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think especially in sort of literary fiction circles, 
that is kind of the practice. If you're in an MFA program, it much of it is reading your work aloud and then discussing it or going to, like there's a, a writer's program conference called AWP. And a lot of those events are authors and they literally stand up, they read from their work and that's it, no Q&A kind of thing. So it's, it's a practice that's very ingrained in the literary fiction community. And I think that um, it has sort of spilled out into to other venues that way. Some stores are starting to change that, some libraries when they have authors in, um, because I think they've realized that people really like the Q&A. So you often find a combination of things. Well, I think that in conversation, I'm noticing those events work what really well, because I do think it's a lot to ask someone to go stand up at a podium and fill mm-hmm. a bunch of space, yeah, you know? Yeah. So if they have someone to have a conversation with, it makes a big difference, you know, just like it's true for all of us. I mean, yeah. you know, if you have someone to bounce something off of, it's yeah. more interesting and the time passes a little bit more easily, you know? Yeah. So I, what I thought was interesting when you and Michael led Booktopia, there were moderators at every session. And that didn't happen here. And so for some of them, I felt like it was a little daunting to sit in the front of the room looking out at all of us, you know, really excited to see them. But, you know, they, you know, they're looking at the clock thinking, okay, you know, I have to fill this hour of time. Yeah, I don't know how daunting that actually was because I think most of these authors have done, most of their events are that mm-hmm. kind of event. So I think they're probably fairly well practiced at that. But again, that might be why a lot of them did choose to read. Right, yeah. Um, when we had moderators, though, um, I think it was easier for Michael and I to... And I, I don't know how much background your listeners really know about Booktopia, yeah, yeah. so I don't want to get too in the weeds. Um, but the first year, we had moderators only because Michael and I couldn't be everywhere. Right. And we mm-hmm. felt that we needed someone to sort of host the authors. And luckily, when we had started the signups, there were a number of people on the list that we knew personally. And so we knew that those people would be able to kind of fulfill that role. And so we engaged them and asked their help. And that sort of invented the moderator role. And so then every year we got to meet new Booktopians. And so we would tap other people who were interested that we also knew could carry on a conversation. And, you know, I mean, not everybody has the skills to do it. It's, It's not about how we felt personally about people. It's just whether we thought that they would be able to kind of control the crowd, make sure conversations flowed, but also engage the author. When Northshire took it over, you know, they inherited a bunch of Booktopians that they had never, they didn't really know. Mm-hmm. And so it's a really hard thing. You know, Tracy, who runs the event for Northshire, has done an amazing job. What a lot of people don't realize is she was not in this job when Michael and I were running Booktopia. She started after we'd handed it over. So she'd never attended one. She didn't know any of the people. So it would have been a real challenge for her to try to tap people to act as moderators. The only people she really would have been able to do would be to tap the booksellers, and they're already on full alert at the bookstore to staff yeah. For all of you crazy people buying, you know, <laughs> right. thousands of dollars of books, which right. don't get me wrong, is lovely and the but, priority. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I, I think that that's really what it boiled down to is just who do you pick as moderators? It's just some blind name off right. of a off of a list, which just wouldn't really have right. worked. Yeah. Right. So we should say that Booktopia, when Anne and Michael did Booktopia, it was three times a year at various bookstores across the country, independent bookstores, but always at Northshire, because Northshire was where the first Booktopia ever took place. Yeah, every year we had one here. Yeah. yeah. And so when Anne and Michael decided to step down and stop doing it, Northshire decided that they would continue to do the one event a year, just so people don't yes. get online looking for Booktopia Bellingham and Booktopia right. Santa Cruz. Yeah, I would love <laughs> to see those stores do something similar. I think it's something that is an interesting model, and you know, bringing people who are from all parts of the country in to meet authors. Authors love that because it has a way of spreading their work beyond the local community. So if your local bookstore brings an author in, they might have 50 people come hear that author from that community, which is great because now the community knows that author. But what happens at Booktopia is because people come from everywhere, they'll meet the author. Then they'll go back home to their own communities and tell their book clubs and their bookstores and their libraries. And then when the authors go to, you know, Boulder, Colorado, then maybe they'll bring their book club and people to those events there. So it really does spread the word. And some of our authors feel like they have friendly faces all around the country, you know, little pockets of of fans. So it's a little bit different than what most bookstores do. I don't know if this is an inappropriate question, but I'm a little curious just because I know the the roommate that I'm with, and I'll, 
I'll leave her name out of this conversation. And it's not me. Right. It's not Chris. (laughs) But I think 30 books over the course of the weekend. I'm wondering, is is there the bump that Booktopia brings to the sales for the store? It's significant. Um, A couple years in, we ran a survey and we asked for the average expenditure. And I just don't remember those numbers. Mm. But it was a couple hundred dollars per Mm. person was the average per attendee. Um, it certainly helps the bookstores. When we were doing these events, we would deliberately target slow times of the year at those bookstores. Number one, to help the bookstore, but also number two, hotel rooms were cheaper right. and more available and things like that. And the communities were happy to have us. So it really was a, a win-win. We we like to help the whole community, you know, the local restaurants and things like that. I remember the first year we did Booktopia here in Vermont, and it wasn't called Booktopia then, um, some of the restaurants actually ran out of food oh, because hilarious. they were not expecting 100 right. people to come to town in April, which is a dead time. Right. Um, so a lot of the restaurants were closed and be- for vacation, and the ones that were open just were not prepared to have an onslaught of hungry Booktopians. Right. So we were kind of proud of that, actually. Yeah, yeah that's pretty good. The restaurants ran out of food. <laughs> Well, do you want to go over a little bit of the different um, off the, the different authors, authors that we saw? Yeah. Sure. So did you, I hate to put you on the spot, Anne, but I didn't read all the, the books, but out of the ones that you did read, did you have a favorite? Maybe we can use that as a, a jumping off point. I don't know that I had a favorite because they were, what I really loved is they were so different from each yes. other. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so I didn't have a favorite and I have to say everyone I read I loved and then the two books that I hadn't read any word of I think I will love too so I don't have a favorite at all um, some authors I'd been reading for a long time mm-hmm. um, Jim Shepard I'd read his stories for a long time Peter Heller I've read every novel he's written um, not any of his nonfiction. so I knew going in that I would love that Will Schwabe I loved um both of his books and also just him personally. He was, he had done a Booktopia with us before. Peter Heller had done Booktopia before. So I came in sort of with various relationships, if you will, to mm-hmm. the books. So I, I don't I couldn't choose a favorite. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. I know last well, it seems like with each Booktopia I, I walk away with kind of an author crush <laughs> on at least one person. And I know last year it was Martin Say who wrote The Mirror Thief and who was here again this year with his wife Kathleen Rooney, right. who wrote Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk. Thank you, Emily. I can <laughs> never get that title correct for some reason. Um, but yeah, I really, I, and that was the one book that I thought I would start with reading for Booktopia, and that was the one I didn't get read. Right. So you know how that goes. Yes. I think the author that I was the most interested in seeing, and I have to say, this is the first Booktopia where I didn't get all the reading done because I was in school, and I right. just, there was a point where it just didn't happen, which to me was. You know, I'm an upholder, so that was just really <laughs> sad for me. But Lauren Grodstein's book, Our Short History, which is the one that's um, about a woman who's writing, who's dying of ovarian cancer and is writing a journal slash book to her son, uh, who's only six years old, about, you know, things she wants to tell him and leave him, um, stories she wants to leave behind. I was really anxious to meet her because I wanted to know why she wrote the book, mm-hmm. you know. And I have to say, it was just, this is just a little aside, but it's very funny because her session was in the church across the street from Northshire in the vestibule, and Lauren Grodstein is a good Jewish girl like me, and she's sitting under Jesus's head. (laughs) So I had, every picture I took of her was her with Jesus, and so we had a really cute bonding moment over, I shared some pictures with her, and we had a good laugh over that, but... um, so she, she talked about that she, and also the thing, she was sitting kind of in front of a kitchen, and she said she felt it was so appropriate to be sitting, you know, kind of in in that setting because she likes to write about domestic life, and that's part of why she chose to write the book. And she had, tangentially, had had an experience where her, I think it was her sister-in-law's mother did die of cancer, but her sister-in-law was much older but the, the, one of the last things she said is, you know, take care of her and look out for her. And I think it's every parent's, right. you know, no matter what no matter the age old, of your children yeah. are. Yeah. yeah. So that was kind of the impetus behind her writing that book. Because I, I was just wondering, you know, was it through something that she had to work through a tragedy to write it? or um, And she's a very well thought of author, too. And very has written much. Has a, under pen names, which I had no idea. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, that came up in trivia right. night. So, um, and is a head of an MFA program. 
at yeah, Rutgers, Rutgers, I think. I think it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's also, that's one of the things I love learning, too, are these little tidbits about the authors that you just wouldn't know. You know, they're, I'm always impressed by them, but then you leave even more impressed that they wrote a novel for seven years while doing all these other things. So, uh, yeah. so Lauren Grodstein's Our Short History was my first session. Yeah, my first session was Lisa, no, it wasn't Lisa Coe, it was Jane Sobel Klonsky, who actually sat in for Will Schwalbe, who was delayed in getting here in her book, Uh, that she talked about was Unconditional, Older Dogs and Deeper Love, which is uh, through National Geographic. Sorry about that beep, everybody. Um, And that was a great presentation. She had her dog Charlie with her, the little, the big white fluffy dog. And uh, her her book is about older dogs, photographing these older dogs around the country and the the love that they have with their humans and vice versa. So uh, that was a nice surprise yeah. to see her. Because I've seen that book floating around the internet, but I hadn't been able to pick it up and, or I hadn't gotten to pick it up and look at it. So it was... And kudos to Tracy. I mean, I know that was a very last minute, you know. Well, yeah. so getting back to your question to me of what was it like to be here as an attendee, that was actually a moment where I could sit back and go, glad that wasn't my problem <laughs> right. to deal with. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. there were a lot of... Uh, there are a lot of things that happen behind the scenes that Anne probably always knew about. We didn't yeah. know. <laughs> Someone else we came with got lost yesterday, and, and Tracy, Tracy had to go rescue. And you know, yeah. so uh, Booktopia stories, you know, come to light yeah. throughout the course of the, the weekend. Yeah. But, they handle yeah. it very well. It's seamless. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So she she must be local, and it was really nice for she her. She is local. Yeah, yeah. yeah. she is local, and they had her books. Yeah. on hand. And, and I know three people bought them. Oh, that, I bought. That I yeah. Know, so I, a lot of people standing. In line yeah. getting them yeah. signed and she did such a nice job talking with everybody about their dogs because everyone showed her pictures of their dogs oh, of course. And yeah so that was really That's nice sweet. well the next one I went to was Victor Lodato who wrote Edgar and Lucy did you get to read that one I did not yeah. and that was one where he read yes and did such an amazing job. And it turns out he reads his audiobook too. Yes. So I'm a little bit on the fence now about whether I want to read the book or listen to the audio. Uh, and I think I'm going to lean to the audio in uh, this case because his reading, um, the bookseller, Stan, who introduced Victor, came out at the end and said, you know, I could listen to you all day, and I'm not just saying that, yeah. and I agree 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, so and I he, think I will. And he's a playwright, so, you know, he said he likes that he likes to let his characters speak for themselves. So he felt it was really important to do some reading. I also thought it was sweet because he took 10 years to write that book. So he said he feels like he's having his Rip Van Winkle moment, <laughs> you know, like he, 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 there really is a reason to come out, you know, from the shadows and talk about the book. Yeah. And um, I really enjoyed it. It was a book that took turns I didn't expect. Okay, and I good. really like it when books do that. And um, I also told him that there were several sections of the book that I read with my butt cheeks clenched yes. very tightly together. And he turned to me and he said, me too. <laughs> and then another author said, when you said that to another author, was, oh, it was um, Lisa Coe, I think. She said, that's a great blurb. Right, yeah, right, yeah, right. <laughs> that's awesome. He was really great too at the, the big event at the end when he was talking about how his life is all about writing and reading. And, and he, he's wrapped it up by saying this is my planet too yeah being there at booktopia that that's the world he wants to live in that's one of the things i love about booktopia is to see the transition that happens for the authors because i think they come in i mean people you know peter heller's done it before obviously but the people who've never come by the end you know they want to come to booktopia next year as a guest you know it's so so different it's not it's not like a book conference at all i've been to writer conferences and reader conferences and this is just such a different vibe here yeah it's such a love fest and and there's such an intimacy yeah with all the attendees so then we saw i think chris and i went to lisa co together on saturday morning and we had um there's a dinner that takes place on friday night and lisa had um was sat at our table for the dinner so i felt like that was nice. We got to get to know her a little bit before yeah. we went to her session. Yeah, we did the Yankee Swamp with her and all that jazz. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. And her book was just released this week. So um, I had not gotten a chance to read it. Chris, you'd read it. I'd read it. Yeah, we talked about it on a prior yeah. episode, but I, I really enjoyed the book and highly recommend it. It's a, it's a great coming-of-age story for the young boy. It's about a, a boy and his mother for the most right. part. But it's also her coming-of-age story, too. 
and the trials and tribulations of being an undocumented person in the United States. She comes from China. Uh, just It's very timely. Again, she, I think, said she took seven or eight years right. to writing it, yeah. and, um, and it's coming out now at such a timely moment. Right. And she, but she made the point that when she first started writing it, it was timely also. It's uh, Yeah, It's exactly. always timely. And the one thing she talked about that I didn't know about was that there's these detention centers that a lot of um, people get put in are privatized. So there's a whole, you know, financial boon happening to, you know, put people in these detention centers. Yes, so. and to take their children, the, the children who are born in the U.S., a lot of judges rule that since the children speak English and their parents can't provide for them in the way that the judge deems acceptable, they're taken from their parents. And I'm not sure if it was, she said there were 10,000 children in that situation now, I believe. Mm -hmm. I don't think she was talking about when she started the book. Right. But And that's just shocking and horrifying right. to think that it's it comes down to finances for some judges. And, mm -hmm. and there are scenes in the book dealing with the courtroom, too. Mm. Well, I'm looking forward to reading it. I didn't. I bought it while I was. Yeah, there. I, I read maybe not even quite a third of it. Um, she's a lovely writer. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. be really beautiful yeah. too. And it's funny. She's she's humorous, which I forgot about after reading <laughs> the book. And I was thinking about the hardships and I mean, it's a beautiful story too with relationships and everything. But when she was reading, yeah. the bits of it, I forgot how funny she is too. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. I mean, I I appreciate she uses a little foul language, which I always appreciate. <laughs> A user of that myself, but she also told a very funny story about, I think we talked about in the previous episode that the book won the um, Barbara Kingsolver Award, is it the Bellwether? Bellwether Prize. Right, Bellwether. and um, so that's a prize that it's, you send your manuscript in, so it's before your book has been, you know, picked up by a publisher, and she told this great story about being on vacation, you know, she submitted it, and then like six months later, she's on vacation, she's lost her phone, and when she gets back from vacation, there's, you know, endless messages from Barbara Kingsolver. And, you know, <laughs> she's, she's like, why would they call to tell me I lost? I know, <laughs> repeatedly. Over and over. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. She, she's very sweet. I really enjoyed her session. <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to, uh, to reading the book. And then where did we yeah, end next? After that, well, after that, it was Kathleen Rooney's right. um, session with Russell, mm -hmm. who is a booktuber at... Ink and Paper blog? Ink and Paper blog, Ink and yeah. Paper blog. We'll put that in the show notes. Yes, we'll put that in there so you can check it out. But yeah, Kathleen Rooney and Russell had a great conversation. Yeah, and she didn't read, she's a poet. And so she did, she read some poetry. She stood up and recited poetry, which to me is amazing that people can do that without reading something. And she's the co-founder of Poems While You Wait in Chicago, which I think she said they use actual typewriters. Typewriters, right. yeah. And they, yeah. I think people give you... It's like, some, at fe like at festivals or whatever, they'll have a table and people for a donation or whatever, you know, will give you some ideas. And then yeah. the poets create a poem. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's $5 a poem. And she said all the proceeds, what did the proceeds go to? I, I don't know if they I go to the their it. publishing house or... It goes to something good. We'll I find feel like out. it's a library or something. Yeah, there's some, yeah, there's some organization. Yeah, some good literary I'm, thing. I'm surprised yeah. I didn't write that down, but I don't yeah. see anything. Yeah, and they had a really nice conversation, and she talked a lot about um, getting into the archives of, remind me the name of the... Margaret. Margaret Fishback. Fishback. Right, and that that's what inspired her to write the story. Um, and she also talked about it kind of being a love story to New York, because this is the book where they take a walk through New York City in the 80s, which was much different than taking a walk in New York City now. Yeah, so, much dicier back yes, then. Yes, yeah. much dicier. And that's interesting, because I went to her morning session the first day, and um, there was no moderator. So she did read. Okay. And that's one of the books that I hadn't read, and she's a really good reader also, and made me know that I wanted to read that book, mm -hmm. too. It would be interesting to hear her read, because it's written in such an interesting voice. It's very proper, the writing, which it took me a little while to get used to. So when she was reading it, was she really animated? No, she read it as, I think, as an author. Like, she wasn't trying to do, okay. uh, you know, an older person's voice or okay. anything like that. She was just reading it out loud. Okay. But, you know, with inflection and everything, yeah. kind of. Yeah. I, I think the way that she hears the rhythm of the sentence in her head rather than trying to narrate, like, an audiobook. Okay. Well, and I have heard um, some people did not like the audio very much, that the narrator tries to do a really old person voice and did audiobooks are so narrator dependent yeah you know it's 
they're almost their own art. I, I think they are their own art form. Um, it's really difficult to judge a book based on the audio because I think the audio has so much to do with either enhancing the book or possibly taking away from it. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is a book, I mean, I wrote down quotes in a book. You know, I have a book where I write quotes down. And when Russell was at my house, you know, I read him, like, because he was moderating the session. I said, I want to read you the quotes from this book that I loved. <laughs> and there were people in her session yesterday that had books with, you know, 50 sticky little notes, sticky yeah. notes in them. So I highly recommend reading this one because there are sentences you're going to want to read and reread. It's beautifully written. She's a very, very good writer. So... Again, that was uh, Kathleen Rooney, Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk. Yeah, and then I know my next one, and I think it was yours as well, was Jack, uh, Jason Reculak. Yes. Who wrote The Impossible Fortress and had a great slideshow. Were you there for I that did one? not oh. make that one. Oh. He was, it was really funny. It was hilarious. Because The Impossible Fortress is a kind of like a love song, a love song, yeah, a love story, love story. To, the, uh, to the 80s. And right. He grew up in the 80s, so there are so many references. And on his slideshow, he had uh, the Commodore 64 and the Coneheads from Saturday Night Live, <laughs> who, you know. Yeah, Lionel Richie is great, right. which I totally <laughs> agree. <laughs> yeah, and some Van Halen. Yeah, it yeah. was great. So. Wonderful presentation, and he he runs Quirk, 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 yeah. Quirk, Quirk Publishing, Books, yeah. yeah, Quirk Books, yeah. So he talked a little bit about the publishing house, and then a little bit about his book. Yeah, it was really funny. He's he's just a very smart man. <laughs> yeah, and I loved his book. Yes, I did too. It was a really fun book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It would make a great gift, I think, mm-hmm. that book. And I think it would also be great for young adults. I agree. I think yeah. it would cross over completely. I agree. Someone yeah. asked, I think, in our session, did they think that young adults wouldn't get the references? And then he was, what he talked he about. He talked about a Stephen King story, The Body, yeah. which is, I think, Stand By Me Stand is by based me. on mm-hmm. that. And he talked about how Stephen King sets it up, and it's the 1950s. And so there are all these references that when he was reading the book, he didn't quite get the references, but it set the tone. Because he was and a so, teenager. And it felt when he authentic. Read it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so he, that's what he kind of tried to do with this book. is he tried to drop a lot of 80s stuff in the beginning to kind of set the stage and give people a vibe. And then that kind of fell away and the story took over. Right. Which I thought was really great. And and one thing, too, I have to say, at every author event, I have book recommendations yes. listed that they yes. talked about books that influenced them or that they loved. And they just came up in the conversation. Did you feel all warm and fuzzy when he said something about Stephen King? I did. I did. Because there's a scene in the book, too, where he's in high school working at a factory, and at lunchtime he goes to his car and reads Stephen King. And that's exactly what I did in high school when I worked at a factory. I'd go to my car and read Stephen King. Yeah. They have a little bonding moment over Stephen King. Well, one thing he talked about, too, that I thought was interesting was that his book had 82 different covers. Yes. They ran past him. 82 that he saw. Yeah, he, he's that's like, right. God knows how many yeah. they actually did. Yeah. And yeah. some of them were kind of cool looking. And yeah. others were, oh, he had them. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. He's in his slideshow, yeah. And then the one that they ended up with was so different yeah. than the others. And then he showed us, he gave us a choice of three because they're coming out with the paperback. And the paperback, the one that he liked, all of us were like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so it was really funny. And, and, of course, the one we thought they should do is the one that the hardback is. Yeah. You know, which yeah. I don't know if that's power of suggestion because we've all been looking at it, right. you know, sitting on our counters or whatever. But exactly, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And then, so at the final, the big event where all the authors come together and talk for 10 minutes, the book that he talked about is one of the most successful from his publishing house. It sold 300,000 copies. And the title of the book is Penis Pokey, if go you'd like to check up. that out. Yeah, go look yes. it up. And, um, yeah, look it up, and then after you see the book and understand what it's about, uh, you'll take his advice and not buy the used copy for $2 right. on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> he had everybody rolling. Yes. That. Yeah. <laughs> So how did it feel to watch the evening? I was thinking about you because you were sitting in the audience and usually you and Michael would be up there introducing each yeah. of the authors. Um, well, can I back up though? Oh, sure. Are you guys done with your oh, sessions? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, because I went to a couple sessions that you didn't talk about. Oh, So great. I'm really bummed that, well, I mean, you can't get to every session. Yes. I know yeah. that. So um, I think one of the underrated sessions, because I haven't heard a lot of people talking about it, uh, was Jim Shepard. 
I didn't get to that. Jim Shepard's an amazing short story writer. He's been nominated for the National Book Award, uh, and he also teaches at Williams College. Um, and he is just an amazing presence. Um, very funny, very self-deprecating. And he stood up and he kind of gave a little talk for the first 20 minutes, and he had notes. It was interesting. Um, it, it sounded almost like a, like a lecture he would give to his students, and mm-hmm. it... I think it made everyone in the room want to go back to college, like, or at least want to take his class. Maybe not do the work, <laughs> but but definitely sit in on the class. And he talked a lot about how you know his book is a collection of historical fiction, uh, yeah, historical fiction, short right. stories. And so he talked a lot about how he approached it and why, and how he loves to read nonfiction and he writes about sort of the unsung events in in history and the unsung heroes and heroines. Um, and does a lot of research and then creates a short story around those events. And it was just just fascinating. And then I, of course, had to ask him what he thought about short stories. And um, he kind of echoed what I what I think is and and his belief too, is that uh, the reason a lot of people say they don't like short stories is because they get so invested in the character or in mm-hmm. the setting or in what's happening. And then feel a little bit abandoned when yes. it ends so quickly. Yeah. And so um, it was interesting to me to know if someone who's made his career mostly writing short stories would also feel that way. You know, mm-hmm. So um, he recognizes that short stories are challenging from a reader perspective sometimes. Um, and I think if anybody kind of can can conquer that. It is Jim Shepard. Um, somebody described his stories as like little novels. Uh, you know, they, they stand alone and they are completely satisfying as you read them. So that that was just a, a favorite session of mine because so, of... I'm sorry. No, that's okay. So his book of Aaron, was that unusual that he had a novel? He, I think he's written a couple of novels, okay. but it he's more known as a short story Okay, writer. I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, although book of Aaron is, is wonderful I, I just and listened amazing. To that. Oh, did yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and remind me, I can't remember the title of his book. It's in my The World book. to Come. The World to Come. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Yes. Yeah. And then yeah. Peter Heller, yes. who I, I mentioned before. Um, so did, did either of you go to Peter I Heller's did. session? I did. You yeah. did. Okay. I did not, but I loved Salim. Well, what was yeah. really fascinating about that was that he described in great detail how Celine is really based on his own mother. Right. And he told, you know, which stories from the novel were really true in mm. in his mother's life and she sounds like just a pistol like <laughs> someone that you know w- there's going to be a movie made about her you know whether Celine is the fictional or a real biopic right um, and so he told lots of great funny stories and what was really interesting is this is the third booktopia that Peter's done but the first one where I noticed he has a really interesting laugh <laughs> and you know, when he would speak into the microphone and he would laugh, it's just, it's, it's very distinctive. And I don't remember that from his last two books. And so I wonder if he was just much more relaxed and having a better time or was more engaged with this book, perhaps in the subject matter than his previous two books that he talked about. But that was really interesting to me. (laughs) Yeah. I I texted Emily. I was out for a walk yesterday And I text her, I was like, oh my God, I just heard Peter Heller laugh from a block and a half away. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so distinctive. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, I love what I like too about his story. Well, Celine in the book, there's a mystery. Yes. You know, she's she's mysterious, even though some of the, the mystery gets resolved, but there's still a lot of questions about the son who's trying to find out about his mom. And Peter was saying that there are times of his mom's life that he doesn't know. You know, there's a joke that maybe she was with the CIA because he she would disappear. She for would weeks disappear at a time, for weeks right? at a time, yeah. and she was a private investigator who right. tracked down lost people. So yeah. who knows? Did he say anything about um, that he waited to write it? Because he mentioned that she passed away two and a half years ago. That he waited to write it till after she passed away. Well, he didn't mention that in my session. I in think. our session, he said it was a way for him to spend another year with his mom. Oh, yeah. Is what I he can said. See that. Yeah, and to yeah. kind of pay tribute to her. And he said he doesn't feel like he actually captured her mm. exactly. So, because somebody had asked too, will there be a, a sequel or will we see her again? And uh-huh. he didn't exactly t- commit to anything, 
But when he said he didn't quite capture her, you got the sense that he wants to try again, maybe. Uh, that could just be wishful yeah. thinking on my part, because I love <laughs> <Yeah>. that book. <laughs> oh, I loved it, too. The other thing that I thought was interesting is she was in Darien, Connecticut, yes. yeah. right? And he, he kind of describes her as, a, you know, like you picture her to be kind of a little Yankee, except she would pull her Glock out at <laughs> yeah, times, right? you know? But he, I think of him as such an outdoorsman in the West, but was he raised on the East Coast? He was raised yeah. in Brooklyn. Yeah, oh, see, I had Brooklyn. no idea yeah. about that. That is yeah. so funny. And he went to school here in Vermont. Okay. So a lot of the the son in the book goes to right. the Putney School here in Vermont, and he did as well. Okay. So, um, so the, there are parts of, you know, a lot of the, the novel is fiction, as mm-hmm. you would expect. Right. And something, he said some things that actually happened in the book to Celine had actually happened to other people that he knew. So he, he did do what a novelist does. It's not, you know, a straight fictional biography. Right. Um, but a lot of it was drawn from, from real life. Right. Yeah. That's really Yeah, cool. and the, then the mystery mystery in the book he said he can't talk about for legal reasons <laughs> <laughs> so, that's and, hilarious and then jessica shattuck the oh, women yeah, in the right. castle yeah. did either of you yeah. get to the no research? we had seen her at savoy yeah. okay yeah. yeah well so what was interesting the session of hers that i went to was located at this old hotel called the wilberton inn here in vermont that i had never been to it's about two and a half miles out of town and up this hill and it's this kind of creepy, not gothic. It's like an old brick, big. It's the, it was the perfect setting for the women in the castle because you could see, you know, while, while I'm sure the architecture was much different in the German castle that they were talking about, it was that same sort of, you know, crumbling. You could tell it was grand in its day, mm-hmm. but it's sort of run down and, you know, there are things patched around the time. So it was a very unique setting. Um, I think this place might be haunted. I don't know. It felt haunted to me. I don't know that I'd want to be there staying alone in the middle of the night. Though I believe Peter Heller stayed there. Oh, so really? he oh, might have funny. stories to tell. His next book is coming. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it, was, it was a great. And so the event was in this large um, conservatory room with lots of glass, gorgeous oh. views. All you could see were sort of the mountains in the background. Oh. And Jessica talked about her book. So did you talk about it on an episode of Book Cougars already? Okay, so I won't spend a whole lot of time. But I was really touched by um, the the personal story that drove Jessica Shattuck to write this book about exploring her own past and sort of the... the, the feeling that when you're half German, you're dealing with a part of history that in many cases you're ashamed of, and, and how do you how do you handle that? So I appreciated hearing her backstory. Yeah. yeah. I and like, I love that book. Yeah. I, really I did too, yeah. I felt like it was a really good setup to understand why she wrote it. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then one of the things she talked about in her talk at the, at the big event um, was that, you know, so many of the, the, the binary story of, the, the innocent Jew and then the horrific SS Nazi has been told so many times that she thinks now it's time f- to start talking about the grays, you know, yeah. that there is more complex stories to be told. And, mm-hmm. and that's when, you know, she tried to, she equated a little bit to today's situation where we have to take the time to look at the complicated nature of today's world and not try and just simplify the narrative that we live in, right. that it's complex, and yeah. we need to take that time. And you can tell she's feeling a lot of pressure. I mean, I think at every book event she goes to, people, you know, are asking her yeah. to equate her book to what's happening yeah. today. Nobody yes. asked in our session, yeah. which was interesting. Yeah. yeah. But, well, um, one thing I like is what she said, though, is that comparison doesn't mean that you're directly equating things. Right. Yeah. That you can make comparisons to see kind of the gist or where there is a little bit of overlap. It doesn't mean... You know, as she said, we're comparing anybody to Hitler. So. Right. Yeah. 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 So you have read that book. Yes. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Great book. So now I'm going to ask you the question okay. I asked you. Sorry. How did it feel to be on the other side of the it, table it, as, you know, all the authors were coming up and being introduced? So it wasn't that different because I always enjoy hearing the authors yeah. do what they do. And so the, the format is that they have 10 minutes to, to do whatever they want. You know, they can talk about whatever they want. Um, knowing that they had hit at least two-thirds of the audience in their individual sessions during the course of the weekend. So most of them know that you know they shouldn't necessarily repeat exactly what they did. So it's always fun to sort of see what they do. And I think this year 
was one of the more entertaining years <laughs> for sure. Um, and, and, you know, some of them, you know, threw out whatever it was they were going to do and just kind of went with the flow, which, which is always fun. The one thing for me is it was a big relief not to have to introduce all the authors. That's my, my least favorite thing to do is actually to write author introductions and then deliver them because it's a tricky thing to balance. There are some authors who I feel a personal connection to or their book might be my absolute favorite. And so writing those introductions often comes very easily and it is very personal. And then when there are other authors where I don't have that connection, it seems much more formula and and wrote. Mm -hmm. And so it was always a hard balance to strike. And I don't think we ever did a good job of it, but, um, I was happy to let that go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's yeah. interesting. You know, yeah. I wonder, cause you guys used to record it. We did. So, we would record the, the event and then podcast it. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if you're saying it was more entertaining. I wonder if like the authors felt freer to say whatever Maybe. because they weren't being recorded. Uh, Maybe. I was sitting there thinking like, oh, I wish they were recording this because yeah. it was great to, I used to love to. Right. to, to Though like to some us. things like um, Jason's would not have translated at yeah. all. At all. Right. We would have exactly. had to say if we were going to, because we used to break them up and, you know, run one or two author <laughs> sessions on a, on a podcast and we would have had to say we're really sorry we can't bring you Jason's right, yeah. Yeah. because it's all visual right yeah. Yeah. completely yeah. visual in Although, the children's section yeah exactly <laughs> it's amazing how that always happens in the children's yeah, yes, section that's right. yeah. although he said something that I thought was the perfect thing which was um he said he felt like Booktopia was like Brigadoon, <laughs> which I totally agreed with. And I'm like, oh, no, I can feel it right now. Like, you know, we're going to say goodbye to Anne and we're going to get in the car and go back home. And it's like the clouds are covering <laughs> Northshire, you know, it's over again. Oh, you know, one author we didn't talk much about is Will Schwalbe. Oh, right. And I know Emily and I went to see him when he was at R.J. Julia for his new release. Yeah. And I know you've had experience Yeah, with and I think the reason poor Will gets some short shrift in this episode is because he, as you said, arrived late, so he only did one session, and I wasn't able to attend. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like you guys had already seen him, and yeah. so didn't either. Um, but his book's Books for Living. I mean, anyone who loves books needs to have that book. Yeah. Um, just my... The, the, again, I've loved Will since... Um, the End of Your Life book club, which he wrote and I also loved. But um, the fact that he, one of the books he talks about in Books for a Living is A Little Life just, mm. like, made him my hero forever. <laughs> so, um, and what I really liked is, he, he, so what he does is he takes the uh, a book that he's read, and it doesn't have to be a book he's loved or his favorite book or anything, and then sort of uses that as a way to kind of write a personal essay about something else. And so with Books for uh, with A Little Life, it was about how he's not a hugger, which I can really relate to because I'm not really a hugger either. And so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, lessons, the different lessons he's learned from these various from these books. books. Yeah. yeah, like the, from the Odyssey, he learned that mediocre, being mediocre is okay, yeah. embrace mediocrity. Yeah. And yeah. And I think that would be a good book literally to have on your nightstand. Yes. Like, I don't think that's one you have to read cover to cover in the first sitting. No, no. and it probably yeah. reads better, yeah. I think, if you yeah. read it in pieces, yeah. like yeah. a short story collection. Yeah, because yeah. it's by the book, each book has its own chapter, so yeah. you could dip into whatever book. And you, you can jump around because it says right in the table of contents what the book is yeah, that right. he's talking about. Yeah, so that's a good one. And yeah. I think that one would make a great gift as well. Absolutely. The only complaint I've seen about that book is people saying, great, now my TBR list has grown. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yeah, and is there so. anything we haven't asked you that you're dying to say since you don't get to talk on a podcast as often anymore? No. Okay. <laughs> well, I have to say, I listened to your first episode this morning. Oh, my I gosh. It. I'm so sorry. You guys, you guys recorded it on March 14th. 2010, it was Pi Day, right. which Michael mentioned, talking about all things round and mathematical, and you brought up Pi, or Michael brought up Pi, but then you ended talking about having pizza for dinner. Oh. So, I'm going to have pizza for dinner, because once somebody says the P word, I can't get it out <laughs> She's of on head. it. She yeah. had a hard time the other night, at, on Friday night, when they brought pizza in late. Yeah, Jeez. and I was already full. I, I bypassed. It was good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank anyway, you so much, thank you, Anne. Well, thanks for having me. It was great me. seeing it was very you. Fun. Yeah, it was thank lovely. you for hanging out, and it was a great time. And thank you to Book Cougar listeners for putting up with this. I I hope it's not too inside baseball. I hope we gave you a sense of what it was like to to be here, and maybe next year you'll come join us. Yes, yes, we would please love do. To see you. 
And oh, we forgot to ask Anne the books on the nightstand question. Yeah, two books she can't wait for us to read. They can be coming out now or they can be coming out a year from now, Anne. The world is your oyster. <laughs> well... Hmm, what do I want to tell you about? So I made a little list Ooh, just of what I wanted to talk about. Like, I knew you were going to ask me about some forthcoming books. You can. It can be more than two. That would well, there's eight really, on my oh, list. No, right. no, we we'll don't have enough time. Oh, no, we, yes, we do. We plenty do. of time. <laughs> All right, I'll try to give you sort of the short version. Or maybe you'll want to edit this out and, like, stick it at the end of a different podcast or something, which is fine, too. Um, so these are not in date order, but I'll try to, should I do them in date order? Would that be sure. easier? Yeah. I love chronological order. It's my okay. Favorite. Well, that way too, people will know like which ones they can get sooner rather than, than later. So the first one is, um, out May 9th, which is Tuesday. Oh. I don't know when you guys go live, but, um, May 9th, uh, Courtney Sullivan, Saints for All Occasions. Jay Courtney Sullivan actually is her first, her official author name. Um, though we who have read every book she's written call her Courtney. Um, but I really love this. So some of you may know her from Maine, which was kind of her biggest hit. Um, and the engagements. And the engagements, yeah. yeah. And um, Commencement was actually her first novel. This is, uh, I love this book. Part of it, I think, is, is personal because it kind of echoes a little bit my family history. Um, but it's a story of two sisters who in the 1950s come to Boston from Ireland. And one of the sisters is very responsible and, you know, makes sure that they're taken care of and finds them a place to live. And the other sisters, maybe not so responsible. (laughs) And then we go to current day and there's um, a situation in the family happening and we learn that the two sisters have been living apart and the younger, as we would say, irresponsible sister has actually become a nun and lives in a mm-hmm. convent. And so we, back and forth in time, learn the history of the, the family and the sisters and what's happened to sort of put them in their current situations. And what I love about this book is Courtney actually spent a couple of weeks at a convent here in Vermont mm-hmm. to see what modern day you know nuns were like and what living was like. And so there's a lot of that oh, sprinkled through the book cool. too that as a recovering Catholic, I just found really fascinating. Yeah. So um, I love, love the story, yeah. and I just picked that one up at the book barn. We went to the Did book you? barn on the way here. Oh, good! Yeah, yeah. So good. it's a great, great yeah. read. I really loved it. Um, May twenty third is a really quirky book that I have not been able to stop thinking about called Chemistry, by an author named Wiki Wang. W e i k e is her first name. Wang W a n g, and this is so interesting. It's not like anything I've ever read before. Um, the main character is a woman who's studying for her PhD at MIT in chemistry and she's living with a man who their relationship's a little bit rocky and the reason it's rocky is mainly because she can't communicate to him she can't speak emotionally but it's further hampered by the fact that she is Chinese born um, first or first generation immigrant and speaks in, and, and the writing is in a little bit of a, you can tell it's not a native English speaker narrating, speaking. And so it's an interesting style. But so she, this character is sort of struggling with the fact that she's failing out of her PhD program. She can't communicate with her boyfriend because all she can think about is things scientifically. So she tries to explain her feelings and her emotions and love through scientific principles, oh. which just doesn't, it's not translating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so she's really struggling with her life and she's in this place, but the writing is just beautiful. She writes these little observations. It's a, it's a slim book. Um, it's 224 pages, but it's just so packed with these, you know, you want to underline Ooh. sentences. Sounds and yeah. the, the voice is just so interesting. Um, the author herself is fascinating too. She is actually studying, she studied chemistry at Harvard. She's now getting her PhD there in public health, but she was also an MFA student at Boston University studying under Hajin and Amy Hempel. So she's this interesting person that can walk both the scientific and literary world, and I think it's pretty unique. I I don't know too many novels like that. Hmm. So it's, it's, You'll hear a lot about it. It's going to get a lot of buzz, I'm I'm sure. It makes me think of Sheldon Cooper around the Big Bang Theory, who is the physicist who is so emotionally detached because he so much has the science brain that yeah. he can't communicate yeah. very well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know that she's quite as funny, or intentionally <laughs> funny. But <laughs> <laughs> um, June 13th, A House Among the Trees by Julia Glass. 
Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, so you may know Julia Glass from Three Junes. Yeah. So I've always really admired Julia Glass as a writer, but I've never really felt an emotional attachment to her books. I've always sort of admired them but felt like an emotional distance. And this book is different. I was completely emotionally engaged in this book. At the center of the book is a, a children's book illustrator who has just died. And we go back and forth in time to learn about the people who are around him in his life right now. And so one of the characters is his personal assistant. And so we learn kind of how they came together and how she's basically given up her entire life to serve him. And also the young man who, unbeknownst to him at the time, was the model for the child in the book that basically made this illustrator famous. Um, so think of like a Maurice Sendak and the boy and where the wild things mm -hmm. are. So the model for that child, and the child didn't know that he was the model for that. And then when mm -hmm. he finds out, here is this famous man and this struggling young man who has, you know, very few resources wondering, you know, is something owed to him? And then the movie star who was supposed to make a movie of this author's life, and now that the author has died, he's trying to visit all these places and talk to people who actually knew him so he can kind of get into the role. So you have all these people coming together in this little cottage in Maine, um, and the author has has been deceased and yet he's just so present and Ooh. it's just really, like really so awesome. different from yeah. her other yeah books. yeah it's it's wonderful um possibly my book of the year for Ooh. 2017 that's really hard to say but I love this book um and some of you may have heard about it because it's already out in the UK stay with me and the author's name is Ayobami Adebayo, I think. It's Nigerian, and I don't know how to pronounce it properly. Uh, coming August 22nd here in the U.S. Um, so it's a novel set in modern-day Nigeria, and it's the story of a couple, Akin and Yajidi, who are husband and wife, and they agree when they're going to get married that they're going to stay monogamous. And evidently in their community, that's not a very common thing. Polygamy is still oh. very much... Uh, a common practice. So this couple agrees that they're going to remain monogamous, which is all well and good until a few years into their marriage, she's still unable to conceive a child. And his family basically makes him take a second wife, who then moves into their home. Mm. And that's what happens okay. there. It's stunning. Somebody was just talking about that. It sounds really good. What if it was Russell? Russell. Russell, Russell read it and liked okay. it a lot. Yeah. Because right. yeah. 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 Simon Savage of the Readers is a huge fan as well. Okay. I think this was shortlisted for the Bailey Prize. Yeah. It was definitely shortlisted for a prize in in the UK. Okay. And Simon yeah. and Russell have this little underground, you know. UK, they, US. They, yeah, they feed yeah. each other books that yeah. we, we regular folk can't get yet. Yeah. So that's coming um, August 22nd. Oh, Love that. Good. Do you still want me to go? Because now yeah. I'm like, yeah. okay. Also yeah. August 22nd, Orhan Pamuk, um, The Red-Haired Woman. So a lot of you might have um, heard of Orhan Pamuk. He's a Turkish writer. Uh, probably his most famous book is Snow. Yeah, that's the And a lot of his books are very big, chunky books, and require a little bit, right? In order to get all of the nuances, you kind of have to sort of know political occurrences in Turkey. This book is a little bit different. And so I think it's probably his most accessible book, at least certainly that I've read to a U.S. audience. Because I'm, there is some political stuff in there, but it has it doesn't take away from the story if you don't know anything about it. So this is a novel of fathers and sons. And so it sets up, and I, I wish I had written this down because I never remember it. So the book introduces two fables. Um, one is the story of Oedipus which, as you know, is um, a myth or fable where it is prophesied that the son will murder his father and marry his mother. And so the son does everything he can to avoid making that prophecy come true. The same time, Pamuk introduces a, I believe it's a Persian fable, you know, an ancient Middle Eastern fable, where the prophecy is that the father will kill the son, and mm. the father goes to great lengths to not make that prophecy come true. Mm. And so it introduces these two fables into the book, and, and it's a novel of fathers and sons. Oh. And so this main character who we follow, we know is going, is he the father? Is he the son? Is he the one that, you know, so we don't really know which of these is going to come to play in his own life. And it's set in uh, Istanbul and, and surrounds, I, I 
think it's around the 1990s. Um, and it's mainly the story of this, this young, we meet him as a, a young boy who takes a job as an apprentice to dig a well. And he um, sees in the, in the town this woman who's come to do like a traveling circus who has this beautiful red hair and he's really captivated by her and kind of um, enchanted by her and he kind of stalks her a little bit. Mm. And um, they come to have a, some sort of relationship. And I won't say any more, mm. um, but the red hair, she's the red-haired woman in the title. Um, but it really is a father-son story and it's, it's just so good. And it's another, it's a fast read, 272 pages. So mm. unlike a lot of Pomic's books, it's, um, it's not a chunkster. So I've always felt like a loser around him because his book, Snow, my book club read, and it was the only book club book I, I didn't read. Because mm. I just, I kept trying and starting and I just couldn't do it. So I'm excited to think that there might be one that's yeah. a little bit more accessible for yes. me. I think it's a lot, yeah, I think this is more accessible for yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Um, September 5th, a book called Norma that I'm actually only mm. maybe 70 pages in right now, but I'm completely captivated. Um, so this is translated from the Finnish. Uh, it's set in modern day Helsinki, and it's a uh, young woman. She's in her twenties, and her mother has just thrown herself in front of a train, mm. or so it's believed. Except that Norma believes she gets a sign that basically tells her that it was not a suicide; that in fact her mother was murdered, and so uh-huh. she starts to investigate. The sign that Norma gets is a feeling in her magical hair. Oh, interesting. So there's a tiny bit of magical realism in this. And um, I love the, the, the jacket, which you can't see, but it's, um, I mean, you can't see on the podcast. I can show Emily and Chris um, oh, is, is oh. Norma's amazing hair. Cool. So I'm, I'm eager to kind of get back to this book. I put it on hold while I was trying to read some of the Booktopia people. Um, my pick for gift of the year, especially for book people, is called An Odyssey by Daniel Mendelssohn. And the subtitle is A Father, a Son, and an Epic. So Daniel Mendelssohn is a literary critic. He writes for The New Yorker, for the New York Review of Books. He's also a professor at Bard College in upstate New York, and he teaches an undergraduate class in The Odyssey. And his 82-year-old son, uh, sorry, his 82-year-old oh, father. Like, wow, he must no, be old. <laughs> his, his 82-year-old father, Jay, decides to enroll in his son's class oh, in the Odyssey. So Jay is this sort of fascinating, complicated man, and he's taking this undergrad class with other, you know, teenagers, basically. Um, and so Daniel and Jay kind of learn from each other as... Daniel teaches Jay about the Odyssey. And then they decide to go on a Mediterranean journey that sort of mirrors the journey of Odysseus. And they come together in that way and sort of also, you know, attack their own relationship and and learn about that. So it's definitely a father and son story. I think, you know, people who loved the end of your life book club or even books like the swerve, you know, cause they're, they do a very close study of the odyssey. So anyone mm-hmm. who's interested in that kind of, you know, who would want to take that class will like this cause right. you'll get yeah. bits and pieces of That's that too. Cool. Mendelssohn's an amazing writer. Um, he just, they published an excerpt of this in the New Yorker a couple weeks ago that people have been talking about and I've seen it shared all over Facebook and stuff. So it's a really special book that I think anyone who likes books, who likes classics, who, likes reading about fathers and sons or wants to give this to a parent or a child, I think would really, would really love it. That sounds really neat. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last book, cause I just can't stop thinking about, um, a presentation I saw is, um, coming October 17th. It's called Endurance, A Year in Space, A Lifetime of Discovery by Scott Kelly, the astronaut. Uh, yeah. Um, he is actually a twin and his brother Mark is married to Gabrielle Giffords. And so because they were twins and both astronauts, Scott was chosen to to live in the International Space Station for a year because it will take a year of space travel to get us to Mars if we're ever going to go to Mars. Mm. And so this allows NASA to study the effects of space on the human body by having a control mark here who stayed on the Earth (laughs) and Scott who went off (laughs) into space. that's really cool. But also, so Scott came and talked to us at our sales conference and did an amazing talk. Um, But he talks about how as a boy, like, 
you know, they'd always ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he didn't have any, any particular leanings one way or the other, but a kid next to him said, oh, I want to be an astronaut. And Scott thought, well, that's cool. I'll say that too. I want to be an astronaut. <laughs> but he never really did. And he was, he almost didn't graduate high school. He was just a completely unmotivated kid, had no direction whatsoever, even into college, had no mm-hmm. direction, but turned his life around and actually did become an astronaut. And it's this oh. incredible inspirational story of that. And I think it will speak a lot to kids um, who maybe feel like if they haven't known what they've wanted to do and done, you know, everything to follow that dream from the age of eight on, like it's too late. Right. I think there are a lot of kids like that. I hope this will speak to them too, that, you know, it's not ever too late that you can decide that you want to be an astronaut of all things right. and actually like make it happen kind of late in your school career or whatever. Um, but he also tells, you know, great stories about what it's like being um, in the International Space Station, his roommate or podmate or whatever they call it um, was a Russian astronaut, and so there were a lot of cultural things, um, one of which he tells the story about there was uh, a moment where, I'm not going to get this right, but I think there was like a comet headed to them or something oh, where it was like super, super dangerous, like they might not get out of it. And so Scott's like, you know, whatever you do, like, you know, barring the windows or, or whatever it is in space that you do to like <laughs> batten down the hatches and, and his like Russian counterparts over there, like eating a sandwich. <laughs> so all those kinds of stories, um, you know, again, I think the perfect gift to give to just anyone who likes to read about adventure or space or just fun memoirs mm-hmm. or just learn something different. So. Well, that, that makes your worst day seem pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've got a lot of paperwork to do today. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, that's sort of my, great. you know, eight books for you to add um, to your TBR. Yeah. Well, and I have to tell you that the thing that most of us who were books on the nightstand listeners talk about that we miss the most is knowing what's coming. Yeah. You know, so it's just really lovely for you to share mm-hmm. that with us. And maybe we can you know, six months from now, I'll call you once all of these are released. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. What are the next eight we yeah. can be looking for? And you need to report back on these too. Yes, so, yeah. yes. Yeah. But right. thanks again for letting me go on. It's really, uh, you know, the the choosing of two books we can't wait for you to read. You know, Michael and I, when we would record, we would do it every week. And so we sort of had this outlet for that. But now that we're not recording every week, when people ask us, like, for one book, we'll give them 10. And it's just kind of a disease. So, sorry. (laughs) You give us recommendations anytime. Yeah, you can phone in anytime. There's this book we're dying for you to read. (laughs) Oh, thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right, everybody. Happy reading. Happy reading. Thanks, as always, for listening. Yeah, and if you're looking for us, you can find us on Twitter at Book Cougars, Facebook at Book Cougars. If you have anything you want to share, please feel free to email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. And if you're listening to us on iTunes and like to leave a review, we'd appreciate it. It helps other people find us. Thanks, everybody. Happy reading, everybody. Bye. (laughs) Bye.